Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Daniel. We'll be in chapter 3 today. I don't have to tell you because you know that we live in a world that rejects Christ. I wish it were not so, but it is. Uh, and it's uh, not likely to get much better. In fact, uh, for our children and grandchildren, it's going to be uh, much, much worse. And so the question is, how can we live in a world that rejects Christ? How can we raise godly children? How can we have God-honoring marriages? How can we live with integrity in a world that rejects Christ? And so we've taken these first few weeks of 2018 and we've sought to answer this question by studying the book of Daniel and studying the life of Daniel. And we've learned a few things already. First of all, we've learned that if we're going to live in a world that rejects Christ, we must not defile ourselves. Uh, we, we must just live with a certain uh, commitment to God's word and a certain commitment to integrity and purity. If we're going to live in a world that, that rejects Christ, we must not defile ourselves. We learn secondly, that if we're going to live in this kind of environment, we must know exactly why it is that we follow the Lord. It is going to become more and more difficult to follow Jesus every single year. And if we don't know for certain why we're following Jesus, then as the difficulty goes up, many people will see their faith fade. We must know for certain why it is that we follow Jesus Christ. And then last week, uh, Dr. Reed shared with you that if, if we're going to live in a world that rejects Christ, we must live with integrity. I had an opportunity, though I was out of town, to listen to the message online and to uh, watch our uh, simulcast of the message, and uh, you heard it well, we must live with integrity if we're going to live successfully in a world that rejects Christ. But there are three more things, and it'll take us a few weeks to get there, but I want to tell you number four, if we're going to live in a world that rejects Christ, pardon me, then we must learn to speak God's truth. We must learn to take God's truth, God's absolute truth, and speak it wherever we go. You know, we live in a world where people just don't want to hear the truth. In the name of tolerance, the truth has been stifled. Because people are so afraid of offending someone, we have softened the truth and we have often changed the truth. Since sensitivity has become so important, such an important virtue today, we have, uh, we have banned the truth in many situations. But if we're going to live successfully in this world that rejects Christ, we must learn to speak the truth. You know, there's a phrase that you hear often today that, that I think just sort of encapsulates the way the world thinks about this. And, and it's, uh, I cringe every time I hear somebody say this. I think it was coined by Max Ehrman in a famous poem in 1927, but it has been popularized by Oprah Winfrey and now it's just become part of the American way to speak. People are constantly referring to your truth or to my truth. You hear people say that? 
Let me tell you what my truth is. Or we need to give him an opportunity to speak his truth. And see, we're not talking about the truth anymore. We're not talking about absolute truth anymore. Now we're talking about some kind of personalized truth. But we as Christians living in a world that rejects Christ, we must know that there's only one truth, the absolute truth, God's truth, and we've got to be people who speak that truth. You know, the Bible says that Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And we need to be speakers of the truth every chance we get. Now, Daniel, uh, in a world that rejected God, uh, was a truth speaker. And we see that especially in Daniel chapter 5. And so I want us to look at this, uh, look at this account together. Uh, Daniel chapter 5 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I have preached on it since I've been here. Uh, a very different message than the one today. Uh, but I can't wait to walk with you through this incredible historical account found in Daniel chapter 5. Now something we've been doing uh, in recent weeks this year, uh, just to uh, give special attention and a special reverence to God's word, is we've been asking people to stand as we read God's word. And so let's do that now. If you will stand, we're going to begin reading in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. The word of God says, King Belshazzar held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. And under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his wives and his nobles and the concubines could drink from them. And so this was an act really of just thumbing his nose at God. You'd have to look back at some history to see that. Uh, but he said, go and get the, the sacred vessels that were used uh, previously to worship Yahweh, the one true living God. And we're going to use those vessels in our party uh, here on this day. Look at verse 5. We're skipping down a little bit. It says, at that moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. And as the king watched the hand that was writing, his face turned pale and his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. He was scared to death and you would have been too. It says the king shouted to bring in the mediums, the Chaldeans and diviners. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this inscription and gives me its interpretation will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain around his neck and have a, the third highest position in the kingdom. And so all the king's wise men came in, but none could read the inscription uh, or give the interpretation, make the interpretation known to him. And so he had no idea what this message, a message from God written by the hand of God on the plaster of the wall, he had no idea what it said. But he then brings in Daniel. Skip down to verse 13. It says, then Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the Judean exiles that my predecessor, the king brought from Judah? And uh, so Daniel says that he is and that, uh, that he's ready to serve the king. If you look down at verse 16, it says, however, I have heard about you that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Therefore, if you can read this inscription and give me its interpretation, you will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around your neck and have the third highest position in the kingdom. So here's the crux of the, of the story. Now I want to make sure you catch this before we move on. 
So here's Daniel. He's been brought before the king. There is a message up on the wall. And he sees it when he walks in. And Daniel knows immediately what the message means. Nobody else knows. And the king says, I want you to tell me, Daniel, what that message says. Now, Daniel knew it was bad news for the king. This was not a message that the king would want to hear. This was going to be a difficult message to translate for the king. So what is Daniel going to do? Is he going to compromise? Is he going to shade the truth a little bit? Is Daniel going to uh, uh, speak his truth or Belshazzar's truth? Or is he going to tell the king exactly what God said? Well, look at verse 17. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. And he did. Uh, If you skip all the way down, let's say, verse 25, I do want you to see the interpretation. It says, this is the writing that was inscribed, many, many, tekel, parson. And this is the interpretation of the message. Many means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought them to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and been found deficient. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And to put all of that in a sentence, Daniel said, King, God says, because of your actions, today's the day it all falls apart. Please be seated. When Daniel had an opportunity, because nobody else really knew what God's message was except Daniel. When Daniel had an opportunity to either stand before the king and to say exactly what God wanted him to say, even though it was a, even though it was a negative message, even though it was going to be a guilt-wrenching message, even though it was going to be a message of doom, when Daniel had an opportunity either to speak the truth or to compromise, Daniel decided that in this culture that he lived in that rejected God, that he would be the one person who would stand and speak the truth. And we need to follow Daniel's example. In the culture that we live in, in the schools that you attend, in the workplace that you spend your days, in your neighborhood, in your families, you need to be, we need to be as a church, the Daniel who will stand up and speak the truth when it's easy to hear and when it's hard to hear, when it's going to be accepted or when it's going to be rejected, when it's going to bring praise on the one who speaks it or it's going to bring condemnation on the one who speaks it, we need to be the ones who will stand and speak the truth of God in every situation. Now, I want to convince you, I want to take a few minutes and just convince you of that. And so I think as we just were to take a, a, a brief overview of the Bible, we would find at least four reasons why we need to be like Daniel. Four reasons why we must speak the truth. Number one, we are the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now this comes from a very important verse, a little known verse, but an important verse in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 3.15, and you see a portion of that verse on the screen. The church of the living God, that refers to us, the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Now this verse tells us that the church has two purposes. 
I mean, we're a church this morning. Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? Well, this verse tells us that there are two things that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be the pillar of the truth. This is the truth. We're just supposed to be the pillar of the truth and we're supposed to be the ground or your Bible might say the foundation or the buttress of the truth. Now to be the pillar of the truth speaks of our proclamation of the truth. If you're going to put something up on a pillar, that means you put it up so everybody can see it. And so one task we have is to proclaim the truth. The other task that we have, the foundation of the truth speaks of its protection. And so we need to proclaim the truth, but we also need to protect the truth. Now let's just talk about what that means. We must be the place. First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches should be the place where truth is always protected. We need to hold God's word as sacred. We must not compromise God's word due to pressure. We must not rework God's truth because of convenience. We must not update God's word. We must not try to make it more relevant or more tolerant. We must protect God's word. God's truth has been preached here for 134 years. And it must be preached without compromise until Jesus comes back. No matter what man may say, it is our task to protect the sacredness of God's word. We are the foundation of the truth. In this community and around the world, we are the foundation of the truth. Now, the second thing is we must be the place where the truth is proclaimed. Nothing is more important when we gather on Sunday, please listen, nothing is more important than our proclamation of God's word. We need to be a people that when we gather together, we are opening God's word, we are studying, we are teaching, we are learning, we are being transformed by the word of God. We, we are to be the, the ground of the truth, we're to protect the truth, but the church is the pillar of the truth. We, we must proclaim God's word and nothing is more important than that. I must prioritize God's, the proclamation of God's truth in my ministry. When I think about how I spend my time, when I think about all the tasks on my list that I need to do tomorrow morning, I need to make sure that the teaching and the preaching of God's word is the most important thing, the most time-focused thing on my schedule. I need to prioritize that. But our church needs to prioritize that as well. We must remember that with all of the things we do, and our church does a lot of things, a lot of very good things, that we never let the teaching, preaching, the proclamation of God's truth get squeezed out by some other good thing. We must make sure we prioritize the teaching of God's truth in all of our ministries. And we do in our youth ministry, in our children's ministry, in our college ministry. It's the teaching and preaching of God's truth. We are the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now let me tell you some of the things, some of the enemies of, uh, of, of this uh, being the, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Because when we hear this, and when almost any church in America hears this, everybody, everybody's for it. Of course, yes, pastor, we need to be teaching the truth of God's word. Even though fewer churches every week are doing it, some churches seldom do it. Uh, when I, I lived in Ohio, there was a pastor that lived across the street from me. And uh, his church seldom used the Bible when they, when they came together to teach and preach in any kind of significant way. And so, so, you know, churches agree with this statement. 
we should be the pillar and ground of the truth, but they don't do it. So what are some of the obstacles that would keep us from doing it? There are three. One is intimidation. Intimidation is when a church is pressured from the outside and encouraged to preach something other than the truth, to compromise the truth or to stifle the truth or embargo the truth because of pressure from the outside. And people on the outside may one day say, and people on the outside have said, and certainly will say, that we shouldn't think that way, that we shouldn't, that we shouldn't address those issues, that we shouldn't speak so boldly uh, about the truth of God's word. I know, um, I don't know, maybe 13 months ago, 14 months ago now, when I first heard of the First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches and uh, had a conversation, or at least an email, I suppose, with the search team here, uh, I wanted to find out something about uh, Church of Nacogdoches, First Baptist Nacogdoches. And so what do you do in this day and age? You want to know about something? You Google it, right? And so you go home and try this. And you, you just Google First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches, and you know what pops up? And, and, and see, some people would say this is a negative, but this excited me so much. What pops up, and this will be controversial, maybe some of you won't like this, but here's what pops up when you search on the First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches. Anybody know? I'm trying to build some suspense. Of course, the church pops up, a link to the church, but beyond a link for the church is what? Is a stand that Dr. Reed and the rest of the church made on the issue of homosexuality about three, four years ago must have been a very controversial thing here in the community because several articles were written uh, uh, by, by the newspaper, by area newspapers, by television stations, and all of those articles have been archived and they're linked on Google. And when you search the name of this church, you see that there's evidence that this church has historically stood even against pressure from the outside. But one of the things that sometimes will keep a church from standing on God's word is intimidation. That means pressure from the outside. The other thing that'll keep the church from standing on the truth is accommodation, accommodation. Now here we're talking about pressure from the inside. This is tougher than intimidation. Sometimes people on the inside of the church will say, you know, we, we just need to soften our language a little bit. We need to be real careful. There's some subjects, pastor, we don't need to discuss because that might offend somebody in our community. That might not go over very well. We need to be very careful and accommodate the community where our church is planted and uh, the culture that is around us. And so sometimes pressure comes from the outside, intimidation, but sometimes pressure comes from the inside, accommodation. We must not let either one of those things keep us from preaching the truth. Another enemy, a third enemy is dilution. Dilution. Now, oftentimes a church will preach not just God's word, but will preach the opinion and the perspective of, of men. And, 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 they'll, and they'll preach God's word, certainly they'll preach God's word, but they'll also share their opinion, their, their societal views, their political views, their, their, their sociological views, and, and, they, and they will present those, those opinions, those, those viewpoints, those perspectives alongside God's word. And here's what happens when you do that. It dilutes the power of God's word. Then the culture, then the community doesn't know when we're standing on God's word or when we're just expressing our opinions. And so if, if a church is going to be faithful to this command to be a pillar and a ground of the truth, we need to be careful that we only teach God's word. It, it's not that we teach God's word and something else. No, we must just teach God's word. 
I mean, I, I got a lot of opinions on a lot of things. Call me. I'm a very opinionated person. And that makes me want to share some of them with you. <laughs> but listen, my task isn't, isn't to come and be a cultural commentar- commentator. Uh, my, my task is not to present my, my viewpoint, to cheer for my football team, or to pull, pull for my political candidate. My task, though, is to preach God's word. And there will be times when that intersects with all of those things. And when it does, we need to speak loudly and clearly. But we've got to make sure we don't dilute God's word with man's opinion. Because God's word, we are the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now, there's a second reason why we need to speak God's word in this world that rejects Christ. It is because it is an expression of love. An expression of love. In Ephesians 4.15 The Bible speaks of speaking the truth in love. You know, people often think that the most loving thing you can do is to hide the truth. If if you tell the truth, you might cause a problem. But because we love people, we need to hold back a little bit. We need to dilute it. We We need to soften it. We need to hide the truth. But I'm telling you, scripturally, the Bible says the most loving thing we can do It's just to tell people the truth. Now, what's going to happen? What what are our fears? When when we don't tell people the truth, whether it's as a church or or as you you as an individual in your family, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, why don't we just tell people the truth? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. One is because we're afraid we might offend somebody, right? If I were just to tell them the truth, I might offend them. And we're we're nice people, right? Most of us. I mean, we don't want to just go around offending people, and so and so we don't tell them the truth. We 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 think if I tell them this the truth, the whole truth, I'll offend them. The other thing we fear is that we'll make somebody feel guilty. If I if I if I say that, Pastor, to somebody in my family, I will make that person feel guilty. If I if I say that to a friend, if I if I take that stand at work, if if we as a church just proclaim the unadulterated truth of God's word, we're liable to make people feel guilty. Well, listen, both of those things are true. When you speak God's truth, sometimes you're going to offend. That's not your goal, but sometimes people will be offended. And while it's not your goal, sometimes people will be made to feel guilty. That those are both things that will happen when we speak God's truth. But let me share with you four other things that will happen. I mean, those first two will happen, but let me share with you four other things very quickly that will happen when we, when we express God's truth. And, and, and these remind us that this is about the most loving thing we can do because of these four things. Number one, when we speak God's truth, it helps people wrestle with truth. People need to know that there is a distinction between truth and lie. People need, to, people need to know that there are different ways to live and that it matters. And anytime we say something, anytime we speak the truth and it makes somebody wrestle with the truth, well, we've done them a great service. The problem in our world is that in many places, you live however you want to live and you're never really confronted with the truth. You never really have to wrestle with, is this the right way to live? And does this honor the Lord? We need people to wrestle with the truth. A second reason why it's an expression of love is because we may rescue people from unpleasant consequences. When we tell people the truth and we tell people that they ought to think differently or live differently, we may rescue them from some terrible consequence that'll come from following a lie. 
Number three, we may push people to cry out to the Lord. Sure, when you speak the truth, you may make people feel guilty, but that guilt may cause them to reach out to God, which is the only place that they'll ever find peace and forgiveness, restoration and love. Number four, we speak the truth, we may protect uh, their safety or the safety of others. Physical, emotional, spiritual safety is found in the truth. Now, I, I want this to be practical, so let me give you an example. And so let me take a hot button issue and then just walk through these two negative things and the four positive things and, and let me show you how this works. So let's take the subject of abortion. And so abortion is a very controversial subject. Uh, it's, a church, it's a subject that, that a lot of churches just are not going to speak on because it is so controversial. And so let's, let's just take that subject and walk through these six things. Number one, will it offend someone if we stand and teach and preach what God's word clearly teaches us about abortion? Yes, it will. Uh, because it's such a controversial issue, because it is wrapped up in politics, because many People wrongly see this as a women's rights issue. Uh, nearly every time I've spoken on abortion, someone has uh, suggested that that was somehow an attack on women's rights, and it was not, but it's often perceived as, as that. Uh, because many people are just very passionate about this. You think about the issues that are involved in, um, in the subject of abortion. Well, one is just the whole childbearing issue. I mean, that's an emotional thing, right? If you've ever had a child, you know it's emotional. You ever been with a family when a child was born? You know that's emotional. You ever been with a family and the child was not born alive? You know that that is very emotional. And, and so when you talk about abortion, you're talking about issues that touch on childbearing, and those are very emotional issues. You're, you're talking about uh, issues that touch on sexuality. Few things are more emotional than sexuality, but anytime you're talking about abortion, you're at least indirectly talking about sexuality. You're also oftentimes talking about broken relationships. That's a very emotional thing. And so all those things heighten the sensitivity. People are, because of their sensitivity, likely to be offended when we talk about abortion. Uh, another, another negative is when we talk about abortion, we may make people feel guilty. Abortion is not just an issue for people out there. Like oftentimes we think that abortion is, uh, is a million miles away from us. It is not. Uh, now, the statistics, I'm going to quote some statistics, but I know that these are controversial um, the statistics around abortion, people have been fighting over these for years. The statistics are controversial because the issue is controversial. Uh, but there are certain things that we just know. Uh, in the United States of America, uh, the number of abortions each year is close to one million. Uh, it's been higher than it is today, and certainly we're thankful for that, but it's uh, still extraordinarily high. If it were two, it would be extraordinarily high, but it's close to a million. And really, it's a hard number to count because so many people today are, are having abortions by taking abortifactive medicine that they can buy at the drugstore. And uh, so we really don't know how many abortions happen every year, but uh, the number is at the, very, at the very least a million abortions or close to a million abortions a year just in the United States. How many 
Women in America have abortions. Uh, here, uh, pundits uh, fight over statistics, but the American Journal of Public Health uh, this last October, October 2017, said by the age of 45, one in four women in America have had an abortion. Uh, the Guttmacher Institute, a little older statistic, uh, said by the age of 45, one in three women in America have had abortions. This is something that's not just out there, it's in here. Uh, I can tell you just in my um, less than a year here as your pastor, I've had more than one conversation with church members concerning abortion. At my previous church, somebody came to me with the idea that we ought to start an abortion I don't know exactly what they called it, a support group for women who had gone through abortions. And I thought, uh, well, you can start it if you want, but nobody will come. And I was uh, very surprised how many people uh, came to be a part of that, uh, of that support group. Uh, people in our church who had uh, been somehow associated uh, with abortion. So when I say that abortion is the killing of a human being created in the image of God. I know that will offend some, and that will make some feel guilty. Scores of people, uh, even who hear my voice. Yet, it, when we speak the truth, it does some very good things. It will help some people wrestle uh, with the fact that there is a right and a wrong way to live. And some people will, will see that their lifestyles are influenced because they're wrestling with this truth, that, uh, that, they're, that, that there is certain expectation from, from heaven for, for when a person should be involved in sexuality. And, and there, there's certain expectation from heaven about the value of human life. As people need to see that distinction. I think for so many people, they, they live their lives and it, it never even crosses their mind that they're that they're going down a wrong path. Secondly, when we speak the truth about this, it'll rescue some people from consequences. Uh, there are all kinds of consequences to, to being involved in abortion, whether you're the woman who has aborted a child or, or you're the man who has encouraged that or paid for that or demanded that. Uh, there are all kinds of consequences, uh, spiritual and emotional and otherwise perhaps. And, and so when we speak the truth, it helps some people avoid consequences. For some people, it will push them to the Lord. There, there are some people who have carried this burden of guilt and they've sought to cover it up for years. But when, when somebody clearly stands up and says the truth from God's word, it will cause them to cry out to the Lord and find the ultimate peace and forgiveness that they, that they need. And it will protect uh, safety. And in this case, specifically the safety of unborn children. See... When we speak the truth, we're expressing love. We're expressing love. Now, the third reason we need to speak the truth is this. We're commanded to have a preserving influence on our world. The Bible commands us to have a preserving influence on our world. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, that you are the salt of the earth. Now, what does it mean to be salt? Well, it means that we are preserving that we preserve our culture and our world. Now, why do we need to preserve? Well, you know this, as soon as an animal dies, as soon as the flesh is separated from life, it begins to rot. 
And so you go to the grocery store and get a pound of hamburger meat. That hamburger meat is in the process of rotting, right? I mean, hopefully it's early on in the process, but as soon as the life is taken from the animal, the flesh begins to rot. Well, in our world, as soon as sin entered the world, rot started in our culture and even in our environment. And, and so, so our, our culture is rotting. And we as Christians, just as, just as uh, salt is sometimes introduced into meat in order to retard the rot, to slow down the decay, so we as Christians, we're to be God's salt that slows down the rot, that slows down the decay and preserves the culture around us. In fact, you can, you can see how this works when you just look at different pockets of, uh, of America, where, where in some pockets there's an unusual high degree of gospel-believing people, and in some other pockets there's just an absence of Christians, and you see the kind of uh, things that happen in those different areas of the country or those different uh, uh, pockets of people. And you can see that the preserving influence of a Christian who speaks the truth and lives the truth and stands for the truth, that it really makes a difference. And so how does the church or how do individuals slow the rot in our culture? Well, first of all, because we communicate that there is another way. When we speak the truth, we tell people there is a different way to live. Secondly, because we cause people to wrestle with the truth. We've already spoken of that. And third, because uh, we make people choose whether or not they're going to go down the wrong path. There are too many people who are just going down the wrong path. And I think about the college students that are here in, in, in our city. Too many people who are going down the wrong path simply because nobody's telling them that there's another path. Now, the, the path they chose is the path they chose, whether they realize they chose it or not. But when we present the truth, then they recognize there are two paths. There are different paths. And they have a choice what path that they'll go down. Now, again, I, I want to make this practical. So let me talk about an issue. If we were to take the issue of homosexuality, uh, marriage, uh, gender issues, all of those things are uh, caught up together. Uh, now there is an easy path we could take as a church and as individuals, we could just take the path of accommodation and that's what many churches and more and more churches every day are doing. Uh, but that must not be what we do. And if we learn anything from Daniel chapter five, we learn that we need to stand up and speak the truth to the king and to the, and to the culture, no matter what are the cost. When we stand up and speak the truth, we communicate to the world that there is another way. There's another way to view marriage. There's another way to view gender. There's another way to view sexuality. Uh, the, the way of the world and what you see on sitcoms and what you see at the movie theater and, 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 and what, what's happening in the culture all around us is not the only way. There is another way. We cause people to wrestle with the truth. People ought to be uncomfortable about these kind of things. They ought to think about them. They ought to pray about them. They ought to seek guidance from the Lord. And when we speak the truth, we cause people to do all of those things. And we need to make people choose the path that they're on. People don't just need to be able to go down whatever path the culture is going down. They need to know that there's another choice. And if they want to go down a different path, then that's the path that they will go down. But they need to go down it because they chose it, not because they were unaware of what God had to say. Well, there's a fourth, a fourth reason that we need to speak the truth. We must not be ashamed of our heavenly father or of his gospel. 
We must not be ashamed of God or the gospel. I'll read to you just a, just, just a couple of verses, Mark 8, 38. Whoever is ashamed of me, Jesus said, and my works in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. The Bible says that if we're ashamed of Jesus, Jesus will be ashamed of us. And then I think about what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. You know, the world is peddling all kinds of remedies and solutions for how to have joy and how to have peace and love and purpose and hope and forgiveness and belonging. I mean, the world is, is, is constantly telling us how to have those things. And all of the paths that the world promises end in in, in despair, but we have the one true path that leads to all of those things, joy and peace and love, purpose and hope and forgiveness and belonging. We need to be willing to share the truth in this world that rejects Christ. You know, one of the things that I like about social media, you, you, there are a lot of things I don't like about it, a lot of things I don't like about it, but one thing I really like about social media are the reviews. You know what I mean? I was in a, I was out of town for a week or so here um, working on some school stuff in Louisville, Kentucky. And so I don't know my way around Louisville and I don't know what any of the restaurants are, but I was able to pull up Yelp. You know what Yelp is? Some of you know what Yelp is? Nobody here knows what that is? And so you pull it up and you put what you want to eat and then it just tells you all the restaurants that'll serve that. But more than that, you can go through and you can see what everybody said or a bunch of people have said about all those restaurants. And so you, you can read, you know, the good restaurants and the bad restaurants. People are passionate on there. I mean, they'll tell you, they get, they get a bad hamburger. They'll write six pages on it, put 14 pictures, put their medical records. I mean, everything. <laughs> and so, so you can go through, you can find, you can find out everything you want to know about everything on that menu. You, you can also do this at, uh, at Amazon. Any of you ever shopped at Amazon? A couple of you. Um, and so. You used to, you would, you would go to the store and you, and, and, and I'm sorry if you own the local store and, I, and I'm hurting your business, but you used to, you'd go to the store and you'd just look at the packaging. And if the packaging said, this is the world's greatest um, coffee maker, then, well, it must be. That's what the package said. But you wouldn't know until you got it home and you opened it up and it didn't even work. But now we don't shop like that anymore, do we? We go on Amazon and we read all of those reviews of all the other people that got that coffee maker and it didn't work for them and so we don't buy it for ourselves. People are so eager to share their views about restaurants and products that you can buy. Listen church, we need to be the Yelp for Jesus, okay? We, we need our whole lives to be a review of God's word. Here's how God's word will impact your marriage and your family and your children. Here's how God's word brings joy and peace and love. People ought to know what we think about God's word. You, when you get together and, 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 and go play golf with your friends or go on a shopping trip with your friends or, or, you, or you're, you're fishing or whatever you're doing, you ought to be talking about Jesus. Why are we so ashamed of Jesus? We'll talk about the 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 last restaurant that we went to at the drop of a hat. We will talk about some product that we bought on, off Amazon with strangers all around the world. But we won't talk about Jesus with the guys that we have breakfast with three mornings a week because we think we might offend them somehow. 
Let's quit being embarrassed about the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. And we need to be constantly speaking the truth. So we live in a world, I'm sorry, we live in a world that rejects Christ. It's going to get worse before it gets better. For our children and our grandchildren, it, it may be terrible. Some of you are in workplaces or in school situations where, where, the, where, where it is so difficult to stand for Christ that I can't even imagine. So what should we do? We should open our mouths and like Daniel of old, we need to speak the truth regardless of the cost. I, um, I think about the disciples 11 of the 12 disciples uh, were executed because they wouldn't stop talking about the resurrected Savior. You ever thought about that? I have a pastor friend in Florida who is uh, sort of the tip of the spear right now in this, uh, in this movement to expose Scientology. You know much about Scientology? And so a pastor friend of mine is, the, is sort of the guy at the head of this uh, movement and and uh, he, has, uh, he has been threatened, and his, uh, he and his family and his whole church staff are being surveilled in, um, uh, both in person and electronically in, in just uh, uh, a, a very in, intrusive way. Uh, he's been threatened to be sued, to be set up, to be exposed, to be ridiculed, to be physically harmed, and... Um, you know, I, so I'm a pastor too, and I don't pastor across the street from the headquarters of Scientology, uh, so my calling is a little different, but, uh, but you know, I, I wonder, what, what am I willing to pay to speak the truth? What, 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 what cost am I willing to suffer? What, what, at what risk am I willing to put my family or my livelihood or my reputation, or my money. You see, we need some people today who will stand like those disciples and who will stand like my friend in Florida and say, listen, I'm just from a long line of people who have put it all on the line to speak for Jesus. And in this world that rejects Christ, I will not close my mouth, but I will always speak the truth. Just so your head bowed and eyes closed, Here's my challenge this morning. The power of the gospel is unlimited. It's the people who are to speak the gospel that the limitation comes. Would you commit yourself and would we commit ourselves as a church to always speak the truth in this world that rejects Christ? That we would be like Daniel and say, world, you can keep your rewards, your accolades, your acceptance, but I must stand and speak the truth of God's word. Father, give us strength and make us bold for your honor and glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing and respond.